0: Well, today as we go to God's Holy Bible, if you brought yours with you, if not, we'll put it on the screen, but it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And what we're going to do this morning is that we're we're going to peek into a very intimate moment in the life of Jesus and his closest friends for three years, the 12 apostles. It's a very intimate moment because it's the moment, it's the night before he's going to be crucified. He's been warning them for a few weeks now that it's going to get pretty intense they were having trouble understanding this. They thought that as Messiah, he would usher in the kingdom of God in physical ways and be the king. And now he's telling them he's going to be killed. And it was very confusing. And so the last few weeks, have their world has been turned upside down. So Jesus is trying to pour into them in these last few moments that he has with them around what we would traditionally call the Last Supper. We're going to peek into that moment. But he's trying to take three years of ministry that he's been with them and he's been teaching them along the walks and, and demonstrating for them. He's been trying to get them to understand it. He now has 24 hours left before he is arrested and crucified. He's got this little time left to make sure they've got it. And if you remember uh, many chapters before this in, in, in the Gospel of John and in the life of Christ, when he was teaching them before, he would talk about about love and about the, the, the capacity... That the human heart, invaded by the spirit of the God of Love, can act and react in their world in a way different than most people can. And He tried to demonstrate to them in unusual ways. And and He even said that when it, He was asked at that time, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Somebody was trying to trick Him into picking one of the Ten, and you know, and uh, He concluded, it's love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Those two concepts. And he said that all the other commandments flow out of those two. And if you don't get those two, you're never going to get the rest of them. You're just going to be a a legalist living by some law. But the law of love liberates you to live the rest of the commandments out of a law of love when you don't steal. It's not because the Bible says don't steal. It's because you know it's violating a law of love. You're taking something that belongs to somebody else. When you commit adultery, it's not, it's not because, you know, it's just kind of wrong and everybody's going to go, oh, but it's because you're hurting many people in the process, and, and it's, it's not fulfilling the law of love. All the other commandments flow, throw, flow out of the law of love, and if you don't get love, you're not going to get anything else that I've been trying to teach, says the Lord. And so he's got down. He's, his last night he's with them over a mealtime. And uh, so let's peek into the story and see what's going on here. In verse number 1 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, it says it was just before Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. Now let me stop here and talk about this evening meal. This was the Passover dinner. This was a traditional meal that the Jews uh, have been doing for a long, long time, Uh, God asked them to do this annually to, to remind them of what he had done for their forefathers back when he delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and gave them their own place to live. And he wanted them to remember all the time that God provides and takes care of the ones he loves. And so they're having this very Jewish meal. The 12 disciples sitting around the table would know this meal inside and out. Ever since they were little boys, they've been having this in their families. And now they're having this with Jesus. Jesus being the head of this family, if you will, this night, was doing the honors of leading them through what's called the Seder meal or the Passover meal. And if you know anything about the the Seder meal you will know that there are different pieces and parts of it, and each part is to remember something significant about the exodus out of Egypt. And each piece was to remind them, and they stated what it reminded them of. And so that's the meal that he's having with them. They've prepared it. He's sitting with them. And uh, it says in verse number 2 that the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, it's an interesting fact in, in this whole story Because, as you know and you remember now, you know, Judas turns out to be kind of the one that turns in Jesus. And I I have yet since then to meet anybody named Judas. I've just not met. That's just not a name that's in the baby name book anymore or anything like that. It's not a name that we remember with with fondness. Uh, Yet even uh, today, there's no real honor in the Scriptures about the man that almost was. You know, he almost made it. But when it came to push and shove at the end... He had a different agenda than the king of kings and lord of lords. And and so within a few hours from now, he's going to turn in Jesus. But you need to remember that while he's already been prompted by the devil to do the, the dirty deed later on, he hasn't left the table yet. You need to know the rest of the story that we're going to talk about today. Judas is still sitting there. He has not left yet. You'll read later on before Judas finally leaves, but not during this uh, part of the meal. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, that He'd come from God and was returning to God. I found this fascinating, too, because the rest of the passage is a, answers a question that I have. What, what manner of man can love anybody? What manner of human being, what kind of person can ever live the law of love? Is it only for people who love you back? Is it only for people who do good things to you? And so, you, you lo- of course I love them. Look what they've done for me. The Bible says that while you were still a sinner, that is, that while you were opposed to God, God loved you. Christ died for you. And even earlier on, Jesus said many months ago to his disciples, he said, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. In other words, somebody does something bad to you, get back at them and, all that. He says, but I say to you, love those people. Do good to people who do ill to you. Pray for people who persecute you. What kind of person lives that way? And would you agree with me this morning that just having read the newspaper for the past month, we could use a few more people in our world like that, that can love even when you're not being loved by the person back? We need a few more people. So what kind of person is that? This this begins to answer the kind and, and the first clue, if you will, the first clue that unlocks the truth of this passage is found in that one verse that I just read. Jesus knew that the Father had put put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returned to God. In other words, it was his relationship with his father that could liberate him to love in a most unusual way. Why? Because most of us attach love to what we get back from that person. Jesus is trying to say, if you've been loved by the Father, you can love anybody. Because your capacity to love is not if they love you back, but because you've already been loved. Amen. God's love for you liberates you to love in a very unusual way. I'm not trying to earn Rod alley's love for me when I love him. The love I give for Rod is not a strings-oriented love. In fact, my love for him is not conditioned at all by whether he even responds positively to that love. Why? Because I've already gotten my love cup filled from my heavenly father. My love cup is filled. It's not dependent on how Rod treats me. And and that's that's part of the truth that unlocks what's about to happen here. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing. Now, I got to stop here because this is really strange. This is a weird night for the disciples. Even through the dinner... Jesus is acting very strange. He gets to the point, to give an example, with the bread and the matzah bread, the flat bread, the unleavened bread of the, of the Passover Seder meal. And he, he does what the Father would do. He breaks it. and, um, and but, but then he says something that's not in the script. He said, this bread is my body. What? My dad never said that. And it's for you. Take and eat all of it and remember me. So a hush came over the guys as they're sitting there looking at each other going, wow, this is very unusual. And then, then he comes to the cup. Now, it's not just the cup. There's not one cup in the Seder meal. There's actually five cups throughout the dinner. And they take all of the different cups, and each cup means something different. And they drink all of the cups until the last one. The last cup of the Seder meal is called the cup of Elijah or the cup of Messiah. And they don't drink it because Messiah isn't with them yet. And so they lift it. They remember what's to come, the the ultimate deliverance of Messiah. They lift it up. They talk about Messiah, and they put it back down again. They never drink the fifth cup of the Seder meal. Jesus picks that fifth cup, the cup of Elijah or the cup of Messiah. He picks it, and and they anticipate that. That's what they do every year. And he lifts it up, and he says, he blesses it, gives thanks for it, and then he passes it around, and he says, "Drink it." That must have sent chills up and down their neck. Drink it. This cup is my blood. It's for you. Remember me. What, you know what he's saying. He doesn't even have to say it. Your Messiah is here tonight. Wow. What a what a moment. And the hush. This holy moment. Just kind of covers everything. They're just kind of going to watch now to see what else he does. When he's done that, he pushes his seat away from the table and he takes off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Verse five, after that, he poured water into a basin and then he began to wash the disciples' feet and drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he he gets in front of disciple number one and Now, this is unusual, too, because their feet had already been washed. In Jesus' cultural time in the Middle East, you're wearing sandals, you walk wherever you go, your feet are dirty, so when you come to a home and you come inside a house, you're not supposed to go beyond the doorway of the home before your feet are washed, and you wash your own feet. So you wash your feet, then you go in. All of these disciples had known that. That was the custom. Their feet had already been cleaned a couple hours before this, before they entered into the room where they were going to have this. You would never... It's like for us today, washing your hands. You would never eat a meal without your feet washed. So Jesus is doing something that's already been done. So again, unusual. He gets the disciple, number one, and he washes his feet. And again, nobody's talking. And, and Jesus scoots over his knees. He scoots over to the next one and washes and dries his feet. and Number three, and then he gets to number four. Number four is Judas. Now, no one in that room except for Judas and Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. Judas doesn't even know Jesus knows. So Jesus comes in front of Judas. I can only imagine, and I've thought about this many times, I can only imagine what Judas is thinking about. Wow, if he only knew what I'm about to do a half hour from now. I bet he wouldn't be washing my feet. And Jesus is probably thinking if Judas only knew what I knew he's about to do in half an hour from now, he probably wouldn't let me wash his feet right now. But just silence. And that is profound to me when I think of Judas. Jesus. Jesus, what, what manner of man can wash the feet of the guy that's about to betray and have him killed? What kind of love does that? And is that kind of love possible for me today in 2016? I tell you, it is. But it goes all the way back to the kind of person that can relax in God's love. He, he comes from God. He's going back to God. In other words, my love for Judas is not about my love for Judas. It's about my security and my love for God. So Jesus earlier on says, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart. In other words, get that one right. Then love your neighbor as yourself. You can do that if you do this first. But if you don't do this, my friend, your love for other people is always going to be warped. I going to have strings attached. I going to be bent out of shape if they don't respond right. Amen. But this is liberated living that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to get to. So he does Judas, then he scoots to the next one, scoots to the next. He gets number nine or ten, and it happens to be Peter. Now, again, nobody's talked, nobody's said a word. Have you ever been in those holy moments where you don't ever dare talk? You know, you just kind of break the moment. If if you if you talk well, nobody's been talking. And he gets in front of Peter, and in verse number six it says that uh, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "Lord, are you going to wash my feet?" I found this a weird question. One through nine, Jesus has been washing their feet. Is Peter a dunce? Is he thick-headed? Going, oh, wait, you're going to you know that's not what Peter's doing here. That's not what's going on here. You know what Peter's saying is a loaded, this is a loaded question. This is an argument that Peter has been having with Jesus for three years, by the way. Peter's been having trouble getting, getting to understand the heart of the king of kings and this new kingdom. And he says to, he says to Jesus, you're, you're going to wash my feet. What he's saying to him is this does not compute. The, the world that I come out of, this does not happen. The employee washes the feet of the boss. The subjects wash the feet of the king. The lesser washes the feet of the greater. The greater doesn't. The king doesn't wash the feet of the subjects. This isn't. You're going to wash my feet? And I love Jesus' response. First of all, he says, "You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you understand." You know what he's saying there, Peter? Why'd you have to talk? Things are going so well here. <laughs> Will you just be quiet? I'm going to teach in a moment. Let's just <laughs> quiet the mouth. Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, wow. I th- this is a moment for the kingdom of God. This is a moment for the brand new little church that's just starting out. This is a mo- If Peter doesn't get this, You and I are in trouble today. Peter has to understand. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You know what Jesus is saying to Peter? Peter, man, look, I've been with you for three years, buddy. You're still wrestling with this one? My kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. I love a book written many years ago by Donald Cravel. It's called The Upside-Down Kingdom. And it's a whole little paperback talking about the ways in which the kingdom of Christ is different than any other kingdom you'll ever encounter in this world where the boss is the king and, you know. But Jesus, for three years, he's been saying, hasn't he? The first shall be last. You, you, want, to be, you want to be great in my kingdom? Learn to be a servant. He's been teaching them this. And that's the, they must have been all platitude and all nice. And, oh, that sounds wonderful and all that. But when push comes to shove, Peter just can't bring himself to buy into it. And Jesus says, Peter... Pal, unless you get this tonight, man, what's about to happen to this planet, you're not going to be a part of. You're going to miss it. I wonder how many Christians today, how many churches today, have missed out on the favor of God because they're uptight with each other, because they don't know how to love the right way, because they don't know how to operate under the rules of the kingdom of God. They still operate under, you know, the pastor's boss, and everybody has to bow to the pastor's knees. You know, there's a lot of churches like that. The, the pastor is the king, and, and and or other people, or, or we, our love for each other always has strings attached to it. I wonder how many churches have missed out on the favor of God because they got to this moment, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I love the next verse. This is why I love Peter. Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and head. The whole body, Jesus. Don't stop with the feet. The whole body. Don't you love that kind of spirit? Oh, that God would give you that spirit today here in Northampton. God has so much for you as a church to do. Northampton, there are thousands of people in a five-mile radius of this church that are gone to hell. Their lives are messed up. They don't even know if God loves them anymore. They think in some ways, so many of them think God hates them and is, and is impatient with them and has no time for them anymore. It's going to take people who are liberated from strings-attached loving to get their cup filled by God on Sundays and then go out of church and to just love, just love without having any expectation of anything in return. Not, not just my hands and feet, but the whole body head to toe. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body's clean, and you're clean, though not every one of you, which made the disciples go, huh, what's that mean? And Judas probably went, "Nope, he knows. For he knew who was going to betray him, verse 11. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. All right, so when he finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, for that is right. That's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So now that you know these things, and here's here's the thing that just gets me every time I read this you will be blessed if you do them. Take that to heart today, my friend. The blessing is not in the hearing. Anybody can hear. The blessing is in the doing. Just because we've talked about it today, you don't walk out of church. Wasn't that, I'm so blessed being in church today. And Jesus says, you know what, there's one little more step. What you got for me today, the blessing is when you do it. Because anybody can talk it but it's the courageous who are already, have been already loved by God. And that's what Sundays are. To me, Sundays are the time, in my daily quiet time I have with God, is my time to have my love from God and get my cup filled. If, I have a, if I'm delinquent in some love, then I need to get it from Him, whatever it is, so that I can walk out of the door. And that person who is treating me wrong at the office... Right now it's only Pam and I, so I'm not... It's not about Pam, it's about us who work in offices. That person who treats me wrong in the office. I can still, when I go get a cup of coffee in the break room, I can still say, hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? What manner of person will offer coffee to somebody who's mistreating you in the office? Jesus people. Jesus freaks. Peculiar people. Oddities. Oddities. We heard that wonderful little girl give a testimony of what she learned at kids camp. Was not that not that these these kids that make fun of me, they're not my enemies. What manner of little girl can say that? It's a manner of a little girl that got loved Amen. at camp and realized that these little kids are not my enemies. When I was uh, uh, many years ago traveling to India, my first trip back in the early 90s, I. Uh, I was nervous. It was my first ever overseas missions trip, and I was going with a team, a few other people, and we arrived in uh, Chennai, which is on the east coast of India, and our director, the, our host, was going to take us a drive eight hours down into southern India, and so we got in the van, and as we're going along, we got about an hour outside the city, and the host said that our organization, India Gospel League, uh, runs several Uh, leper villages, leprosy villages around India where these are outcasts. These are people that in our Indian culture are, if you have the caste system, they're below the caste system. They don't even count in the caste system. They're so low. And because they had this illness, everybody's afraid of them and all of that. And so they're, they're outcasts. We take them in. We build them homes. We let their families live together. We have a church for them when they accept Christ. We have food for them in these villages all over India. I want to stop and show you one. It happened to be a Sunday morning. And he said, when we get there, we'll enjoy a worship service with them. So we stopped there. It was so marvelous to to see these wonderful, grateful people giving thanks to God. I don't know if you know anything about leprosy, because I had about 20 minutes after the host said we're going to stop to think about what that means to stop at a leper colony. All of a sudden, I got fearful. How do you get it? Uh, I've seen pictures, and it doesn't look pretty, and I'll keep it G-rated here today. But if you know anything about leprosy, it's a hideous disease in that it starts with the extremities of the body, the ears, the fingers, the toes, the nose, it starts and it, and it eats its way in. It doesn't start like a disease on the inside. It eats its way in and it can be very hideous to, to look at. And so uh, people are f- afraid, They're, they make fun of lepers, all of that because of the looks and everything else. And this Christian group in India is saying, we'll love you, we'll take care of you. What a, what a Christ thing. What a, what a cool thing, you know? And anyway, so we stopped there, and by then, I, I kept thinking, okay, if I keep a distance, and then I thought, now how much of a distance is it to, to where you stay? Oh, when they breathe, do I get it because they breathe? You know, so maybe 20 feet. Is that a good? So I settled on 20 feet as being the distance. I'll keep 20 feet. I figured breath probably falls to the ground at 10, maybe 12 feet, but let's just in case. And honestly, I mean, I'm going to make a little fool of myself today because I'm going to look pretty ignorant, but I was back then, okay? I was, very, I was in a comfort zone. I, I loved my own. You know what I mean? But God was doing something to me to push me beyond the kind of people that I had learned to love. And uh, so, anyway, 20 feet. So, we watched on the outside of their church. It was beautiful to watch. There was no walls on their little thatched roof hut that they had as they were worshiping the Lord. It was so beautiful uh, to see. And then the host said, okay, it's time to go. And as we started to get back to the van, I got, I don't think, five feet from the van. I mean, folks, I had almost made it back to the van, I was so close. When that little voice, you know the one in your head? It's either God or your mother, depending on what the situation is. This time it was God. And he said, stop. I stopped. He said, go back and hug some of them. You can't argue with God or your mother, frankly. You never win on either of those arguments. I turned around and as I turned around, I kept again doing the assessment. Okay, so if if I've got to violate my 20-foot rule, if I've got to actually touch, then why not hug somebody that has as little outward signs? Maybe they're in the early stages and it's not contagious. I had not, nobody had ever explained to me how you get it or anything like that. Uh, By the way, for a lot of us, it's like the early years of AIDS back in the early 80s. A lot of us were around then. We were afraid of everybody and and anyway, so, so I, I go back and I see a little girl there. She's so cute, I'm guessing five or six years old. So cute, not a thing wrong with her body. I just, good, okay, all right, there's a really safe one there. And so I went and I knew I could get God off my back if I just hugged her and then got back to the van. And it was amazing because I got down on one knee and, and I put my arms out and she hesitantly came over. And when she came into my arms, I went like that and she just fell into me, just fell against me. I closed my eyes, and, and in that moment, I have to tell you, a revolution started happening in my heart. It's amazing how much can happen in like a 30-second hug. Because that was really not about that little girl. It was. I mean, it's probably nice of her to get somebody to, to love on her when her culture has rejected her. But you can never out-love God. This is the thing that I learned that day. You can never out-love Him. You, you, you think you're going to deplete your love by loving somebody that's hard to love? It comes in quicker than it goes out. Amen. And in that moment, with my eyes closed, hugging her, I felt such favor from my father. I felt such a, such a, a smile from my father. When in that moment, I was saying to God, then not just my feet, but how about my head and hands as well? You know what I mean? I, I was all in at that moment. And God had never really heard that from me before. He had never seen that from me before. And then, I believe now, looking back, that that was my moment like Peter had. Carl, you're going to miss my kingdom, buddy. You're a young man. You've given you've given your life to being a pastor now. But you're going to miss out on the best of the kingdom if you don't let me do this through you. And I hugged her. And anyway, and then I, I opened my eyes and uh, I, I let her go. And as I did, um, I don't know. 12 or 13 other kids. I didn't see them coming, and they gang-tackled me. I would never had a chance to get off my knees. They jumped on me, pushed me back, all manner of disease and all of that. And I'm, I, I'm laying there, and they're on my arms. They're on my legs. They're laughing. It's really, you know, how kids can be anyway. They just thought this is a fun little game. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> you know what I thought? Actually, one thought and This sincerely happened to me. I thought, well, I guess what a way to go. I mean, you know, I was if they're going to write a story about you later on in your life and have, you know, then, you know, how he died. Well, you know, you know, he died hugging some lepers, you know. Okay. All right. So anyway, so they, so they goofed off and other adults came and got them off. And as I stood up, the kids parted ways. And one last person was standing there. An 80 some year old lady was standing at the edge of the, where the kids were. And she had been watching just a short lady. And she was the only one that I noticed in the worship time that had no nose. She had a hole in the middle of her face where her nose used to be. The most hideous look I've ever seen. And I looked up at her, and she went, and I went, oh, God help me. God help me. This is my, but I'll tell you, I went over, I gave her a hug. I started to walk back to the van, and every step I took back to the van, I felt like God was saying, attaboy, attaboy, you're in now. I'm not saying that about me. I'm telling you what the love of God can do when you're liberated to be loved by the Father. It's you're never out, out, you'll never empty your cup. It'll come in faster than it ever goes out. The challenge to you and I today, you know, it is what it is. You heard it already. When you go out after church today, you know, you're going to go back to your world. Sometimes it's going to be even people in your own home, where you work, where you go to school, your neighbors, maybe some extended family maybe somebody in the past that's done wrong to you and you ever wonder how can i ever get over that how can i ever forgive i mean you know and if i forgive is that going to make them feel like i'm approving or you see that's that's twisted love that, that's love that always makes strings that i'm not i'm not going to make it right i'm not going to love them because if i do maybe they'll, they'll think i affirm them their lifestyle or Think of all the ways that we sh- put strings attached to our love. And God is saying to us today, will you knock it off? Just love. Just love. Don't worry about whatever they do back or whatever they think. That's between me and them. It's not between you and them. What's between you and me, Carl, is that I love you, buddy. And you, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to wonder if there's strings attached for my love. Carl, when you were a sinner... I died for you, buddy. I love you no matter what. So walk in that love. May that be your story. Not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. I'm all in. When you do that, my friend, you will not miss the kingdom of God.